0: Today's episode of Redefining HR is actually a double episode. Earlier this month, I sat down with Coinbase's Chief People Officer LJ Brock to discuss their plans to shift to remote first and really examine all of the downstream HR and people implications associated with that decision. Soon after we recorded that episode, a blog was published by their CEO, Brian Armstrong, stating Coinbase is a mission-focused company and detailing their aspirations to stick to their core mission and not get involved in any activism or causes outside of that. And I really wanted to reconnect with LJ to talk a little bit more about what that meant from an employee experience standpoint, what message that stance sends to underrepresented employees and prospects, and really what the internal dialogue has been since the announcement came out. So LJ agreed to come back on, and we're going to be bringing you that conversation. Essentially, we're going to lead with that and kick off the podcast with that conversation, and then we will get into part two on shifting to remote. So we'll be right back with that after a brief word from our sponsor. Redefining HR, one podcast at a time. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from Pin. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, enabling your employees to automatically receive helpful messages at key moments throughout their journey, from onboarding to promotions and everywhere in between. PIN helps companies battle communication overload and puts your employees in control over when and how they receive information. Go to PINHQ.com for more information. That's P-Y-N-H-Q.com. And reinvent employee communications for the distributed workplace. And now, on to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Redefining HR podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and I am here with part one of a two-part conversation with Coinbase Chief People Officer LJ Brock. So LJ, I appreciate you coming on. I know this is part two. We had originally recorded an episode uh, before the announcement uh, this week from your CEO, Brian Armstrong, and appreciate you coming back on the show to talk a little bit more about that. So uh, you ready to dig in?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I didn't think I'd be back here so soon, Lars, but I'm happy to do it. So thanks for giving me a chance.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate you coming back and making time. I, I saw the announcement. Of course, it came out a, a couple of days after we recorded it. I was like, there's a lot to unpack here. So I, I appreciate you making time. Um, you know, Let's jump right in. So earlier this week, actually last week, by the time this airs, uh, your CEO, Brian Armstrong, published a post about Coinbase being a mission-focused company. Uh, And that seems to have struck a chord, a fervent chord with both supporters and critics for the stance on corporate and employee activism. Uh, And so I'll add a link to the full post in the show notes. So for listeners uh, who haven't read that, you'll have a chance to do that. Uh, But I guess my first question for you, LJ, is like, as the chief people officer of Coinbase, what was your reaction to that post?
1: Lars, I would say my first reaction was, wow, this is going to be a big moment for the company. Uh, And I have to really lean in here and help steward the company thoughtfully through this big moment. And right behind that, I would say, you know, look, I was happy to be working at a place that takes a principled approach to thinking about making these moves. And and what I mean by that is I think there's four things that really guided us. Um, One is that we always need to be honest and transparent with our people. Two is that we wanna focus on what we can control. With focus comes impact. Three is that ensuring that the brand promise matches the brand experience from an employee experience perspective. And four is that it's never gonna be a good time to have hard conversations. And so when I saw this post, I thought we're gonna uphold those views, we're gonna lean into it, and we're gonna make sure that we have these hard conversations And we're going to make sure that we align the promise and the experience and we're going to do the best to make sure this is the right outcome for all of the people at Coinbase today uh, and for any future employees we have joining as we continue to grow the company.
0: Well, you know, we're recording this on a Friday. The announcement came out on Monday of this week. So you've had kind of a full week since that came out. What has the internal discourse been within Coinbase uh, over the course of this week?
1: Well, look, we've certainly had a lot of hard dialogues. I don't wanna run from that. Whenever you make a, uh, you know, a, a cultural statement in any, fa- in any fashion, um, you're gonna have dialogues across your organization. Uh, and I wanna say that we have leaned here into a ship it culture. Uh, we have leaned into the idea that when you, when you see some challenges or, or some sort of deviations from where you're intending to go from a culture perspective, to where you are, there, you need to lean into it and do it right away. And so that of course, amplifies the impact on our organization because we're dealing with change management real time and going through it um, in a really heightened speed. What I would say is that a lot of our executive team has really leaned into having a lot of one-on-one and small group dialogues. We've had follow-up conversations at the company level and as I sit here on a Friday, I will say to you, we've come a long way over the last five days, really helping the organization understand in greater detail the meaning behind the words. And I sit here with great hope that as we move forward into next week and going forward, we will all be aligned and we've gotten through a lot of those tough conversations.
0: So tell me a little bit more about how this actually works, right? Like what, what are the, the practical implications for employees as a result of the policy?
1: Yeah. Look, I think first off, how this really works is hopefully it's not a significant change for a percentage of our a large percentage of our population. I, I, mean, I don't think that this is such a deviation that uh, that we would expect a radically different experience for most of our people. Um, but I think this is really about setting more setting expectations clearly on where we stand and helping and, and for letting people know that we're going to be intentional about our culture and giving them guidelines on how that intentionality is gonna play out. And maybe the most tangible example of that, Lars, is that we wanna be clear to people that in our capacity as members of the Coinbase platform and as a company, we're not gonna be making external statements on issues that are unrelated to our mission, uh, but that that we're going to be focused internally and we're going to spend a large amount of time and a laser focus on delivering against our mission and making this an outstanding environment for our employees, a place of refuge from the divisiveness that we see in other spots of the world.
0: And so I guess kind of on that last point, you know, the the world that we're in, uh, obviously, it's 2020. There's a tremendous amount of of volatility and uh, frustration and concern and fear. You know, if you're if you're asking your employees, particularly your underrepresented employees, to keep activism out of the workplace, you know, what what commitments are you actually making to them in return?
1: Great question, Lars. And we're making a set of commitments. We had for our third quarter a a company level OKR to refresh our belonging inclusion and diversity strategy. Uh, And make sure that that strategy is something that we can execute on over the coming months and years to really create an outstanding environment. And so within that strategy, we're already planning. We had predetermined that we would launch that internally on October 15th. There will be a new set of commitments there around ensuring our talent practices are insanely fair and really creating an environment uh, that is an even playing field inside the organization, on expanding the top of our funnel in our recruiting uh, and ensuring even further uh, equitable outcomes from a compensation perspective. So broadly, what we're saying to our people is we're going to be laser focused again. what With focus comes impact. And what we're going to deliver for you is a, an experience that will be fundamentally differentiated inside these walls. And we're looking forward to them joining us in that commitment and even making it come alive further.
0: You know, and I'm curious, kind of in this environment right now, when you look at a lot of the, uh, you know, the causes and social activism, uh, there's obviously a lot of momentum against things like, uh, you know, white supremacy and just things that, that are kind of intrinsic in how a lot of society, but also organizations operate. And so, you know, what do you say to employees and prospective hires that interpret the message that, you know, Coinbase doesn't have a stance on causes unrelated to the core mission as an abdication of support for those employees or prospects that you know, currently feel marginalized or threatened or, or even unsafe by the status quo?
1: Yeah, look, first of all, I think uh, our focus on providing economic freedom is far from an abdication. And I think, in fact, if we can be focused on that as an organization, uh, then we can make an incredible difference in the world. Uh, for all those marginalized groups you're speaking about. And then secondly, what I would say is, again, you know, with focus comes impact, uh, we're going to focus on making an incredible experience for any URMs inside our organization such that we don't believe um, we're not, you know, that we're not focused on making them, their outcomes better, that we're not focused on sort of helping the marginalized or the threatened. We're going to lean into Creating a better environment for our populations, where that might be the case outside of the walls of Coinbase, it will not be the case inside the walls of Coinbase.
0: Got it. And then you know, as I read the announcement, uh, the the kind of HR and people side of me was just, you know, I, I was trying to get my head around how you actually manage this, right? Like, how do you enforce this? Meaning, who determines, you know, it, it, with this kind of approach? who determines what type of internal dialogue is considered activism and kind of as a people team, how do you, how do you manage that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. It's one of the things that as we've been going through this week, we've been focused on in these dialogues. I would say first and foremost, we want to help our people get a, a, an understanding of guidelines and rules so that they, or guidelines, let's not call it rules, guidelines that will help them navigate appropriately. Right? So for example, as we think about using, Slack as one of our uh, internal messaging tools. We want to give them this idea of a a set of guidelines around time, place, and manner. Is the comment at the right time? Are you putting it in the right place, maybe the right channel? And are you saying it in the right manner? Um, We want to empower our employees to use goods judgment. So one of the things as we think about in change management here, I don't think it is that the people team or the comms team or any organization inside Coinbase is effectively going to articulate every example for people such that there's a roadmap for them to easily look on a yes, no column. Is this this action okay? Is it not? I think what we want to do is default to trust with our people, give them guidelines to focus, to think about their actions. And then look, if they make a a mistake along that, we're here to say, support them and say, it's okay. We understand. We'll help you next time. This is not about sort of Calling people out, this is about again finding common ground and helping us all move forward productively.
0: yeah, and so with this uh, this new kind of uh, foundation and direction for coinbase, CDO O'Brien even mentioned in his announcement that he expects some employees may decide that uh, that direction doesn't align with what they're looking for from an employer. And so you know, I know uh, a couple of days later or soon after you announced a uh, severance package plan for employees that uh, that did feel that they they don't align with the new direction. Walk me through how that works. Like h- how was that introduced? Uh, you know I know you're still kind of early in the process but what what is what have those conversations been like so far?
1: Yeah, look, I think again here um, this is about us really caring for all of our employees. Uh, Brian our CEO you referenced his his, his blog posts, all of our executive team. We care about everybody on our platform. We want them to be part of the organization going forward if they are comfortable with the, the adjustments we've made to the culture. And we want to honor that this is a really difficult year. Um, it's, a, it's a challenging environment externally. And one of the worst things that people can face is getting up every morning and trying to be part of something that they're not committed to. I think Brian thinks about a, a line that I wholly align, uh, you know, agree with of like life is too short to work at a place you're not energized by. And so what this whole entire thought process around our you know, offering this package to people is we want to take the stress and the uncertainty out of it so that they can really think about is Coinbase the, in the right environment for them going forward, if so great. We're going to fight to get on the same page. We're going to fight to make this an amazing experience for everybody. But if not, we care about them so much. We also want to make it safe for them to make that choice.
0: Yeah. And, and do you have any sense, and I know this is still early since this was announced, but you know how this is going to impact turnover? Do you, do you have any kind of indicators as to what that might look like?
1: We don't yet. I mean, we've certainly had some dialogues with a percentage of our employees thus far around that. I don't I think it's too early for me to say I know exactly how that's going to play out. Sure. Um, But I do think in general, certainly part of the dialogues we've had over the last couple of days since we've announced that is helping a certain segment of our population um, understand better what their options are.
0: And how about like I know your focus right now is is internal for the most part right it's focused on the the population that you have, but what about the population that you're trying to attract like you know coinbase is growing, you're doing a lot of recruiting how do you how do you see this impacting your ability to recruit talent?
1: I think that honestly in the short term this will be a little challenging for us. Um, I think there's obviously been you know a lot of dialogue in the press, Um, I don't know that it's as easy for our external population uh, in our pipeline to understand the commitments that we're making internally. And so I do think that there will be a challenge for our recruiting team, our hiring managers in the short haul to really in the short term to really make sure that people in our pipeline and people that are considering Coinbase really understand the whole picture in a fair way. But I do believe that when you're focused on being honest and transparent and when you're focused on making sure that the brand promise matches the brand experience, that in the long haul, it's going to play out well for us. We have a lot of commitments to deliver internally on still, but I have faith that we will do that. And as we go forward, I believe there are a lot of people who want to work at a mission focused company where they can be united in delivering against that mission
0: so i'm I'm curious is you know we, we often in, in organizationally and certainly within the people function, we talk about building cultures of inclusion and representation and belonging. and I wonder, you know how does this approach impact your ability to create a space where all employees feel like they belong, you know and they'll be seen and supported by the company And you know what I mean by that, like for example, what happens when the next Charlottesville, or George Floyd, or Breonna Taylor happens, and your employees come to work and they're hurting. You know they're scared, they're angry. Uh, How can you separate? How can you kind of have those employees separate from those emotions to focus on the mission when they're in that vulnerable place?
1: Well, first and foremost. Our biggest priority is always going to be taking care of our employees internally. Again, that kind of goes to my focus on, you know, focus on what you can impact. And so we will always support our people. Uh, And we have a thought on how we're going to take people through that from a channel perspective, we're going to lean in heavily to having our managers be support structures, having my HR organization be support structures, having our ERGs be support structures. We're not in any way suggesting that the people who are part of our Coinbase platform are going to have to not deal with challenging issues going forward. They certainly will. And when they do, we will be there to support them. We will have the in, the focus and the infrastructure internally to help take them through those times.
0: And, you know, uh, those are a lot of the, the core areas I wanted to get into. What what didn't we cover? You know, what do you want listeners who are maybe, you know, learning about this for the first time or just curious about, you know, your role as a chief people officer supporting the company through this transition? What are, what are things that they should know?
1: I think the first thing that we all should honor is that, you know, 2020 in particular has been an incredibly challenging year for all of us. Uh, and what I want people to know is that I, my belief is that being authentic Um, Being honest and transparent and leaning into focusing on what you can control is the best way to have an impact and to really help our employee population get through these challenging times, get to the other side of them and have great career uh, aspirations within Coinbase and and then overall help Coinbase achieve its mission. It's a challenging time for any chief people officer. And I think if those are the principles I'm leaning on. And my advice would be if they can lean on principles that will help their people get through some of these challenges in a similar way, uh, we'll all do a better job of helping navigate these difficult times.
0: Great. Well, LJ, I really appreciate you making time to uh, come back on the show for, for part two. And thanks so much for doing that.
1: Thank you, Lars. It was great to be here. And I look forward to talking to you again soon.
0: So that wraps up part one of this special episode with LJ Brock. What do you think? I'm really curious to see how this plays out over time. I'll be honest, when I first read the announcement and I thought about it since, I can understand both perspectives. I think the clarity around mission focus is going to help them bring in more of the right talent who self-identify with that culture. Uh, But I think it's also going to cost them a bit from the perspective of employees and prospects that think that it may not be as inclusive of an environment as they want. So time will tell. The next stage of the two-part episode is going to be another discussion with LJ on their shift to remote. Not just the headline, but all the downstream implications of taking your company remote first. And we're going to get into that conversation right now. Hey everyone, welcome to Redefining HR podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I'm going to be spending some time with the chief people officer at Coinbase, LJ Brock. LJ and I are going to cover a range of topics that are uh, really heavily centered around all things 2020, um, but most specifically, we're going to be digging into some of their recent announcements on going remote first and really talking about what that looks like from a people operations standpoint. So LJ, thanks so much for coming on the show. If you wouldn't mind, why don't you give the listeners a uh, brief introduction on you?
1: Yeah. Um, thanks, first of all, Lars, for having me. It's great to connect with you and all your listeners. Um I am uh, currently the the chief people officer for Coinbase, Uh, been here now for about a year and a half uh, and just been a really obviously, as you know, uh, exciting and interesting period of time, uh, both because of the broader crypto market and where Coinbase sits and then just larger world events. Uh, and then, you know, earlier in my career, spent time uh, working for a hedge fund and then uh, in open source technology at Red Hat. So, I have been fortunate to mix my career back and forth between technology environments and uh, financial services environments, and now sort of bringing the two together at Coinbase.
0: Yeah. Well, and just to level set for listeners that uh, may not be familiar with Coinbase, um, describe the company.
1: Yeah, I, we're a, a leading crypto exchange company. Um, you know, I think when you think about Coinbase, you think about the most trusted provider in the crypto space. Uh, people come to us because they know uh, that we work within regulations and they know that they can trust to have their funds and do their crypto trading at Coinbase.
0: Got it. And uh, for listeners that uh, are familiar with the some of the open source projects, uh, I think, you know, I it would be remiss to to talk about Coinbase and not give you all props for open sourcing your uh, COVID response plans and guidelines at the very beginning of, uh, of this pandemic. I think that, uh, that, that resource, uh, was formative, uh, for many HR leaders and practitioners who are trying to you know, figure out how does this impact our operations and, and what do we do? And, uh, as the first company that kind of took their plans public, I just want to recognize that and give you and your, you know, CISO a shout out for that.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I think, uh, Really uh, strong kudos goes to uh, our, our CISO and his entire team. Uh, they did a lot of work that we certainly benefited from on the people team, but they had strong thought leadership and were, we were very, very fortunate to, to have that team in place. And then we were happy to share because I think open source is sort of a core principle for Coinbase. And as we're growing this company, we want to help others uh, learn from our lessons and and Help them have a better experience going forward in their worlds as well. So, very fortunate to have a great team to work with through that whole period of time.
0: Cool. Well, let's uh, let's kind of stick with the theme of open source and uh, and opening up your practices because recently uh, Coinbase announced that you will be shifting to remote first, and I know that that is a decision that lots of uh, you know businesses and people leaders are are grappling with right now. How do they design their work for kind of these current and post pandemic realities? And so. Take us kind of behind the curtain. What, what was the process like for you as you were you know, determining how best to kind of structure your operations uh, as a result of the pandemic? And, and how did you land on Remote First?
1: Yeah, so I think, Lars, to, to think about that, it's good to go back and get a little history context for us. I, as, as you mentioned, and as we spoke about, uh, Philips, our CISO, and, and we began having a conversation with Philip and our executive team, in January and early February. And we were very fortunate to thoughtfully and pragmatically deescalate our company into a shelter in place environment uh, way ahead of when we had to be there. So we thought about moving X percentage of the company out every week uh, to work remotely. And then that really helped us as we moved our operations in such a planned fashion, I don't think it sort of struck us as in such sort of a unique and difficult way as maybe other companies because we were able to do it that way. And we slowly prepared ourselves and learned what was working and what wasn't. And I think there was a couple of things we realized early on in the first 30 to 90 days and was really that our culture had been tuned for remote probably more than we had even realized We had not particularly been a remote-oriented company up until Shelter-in-Place. But when we moved to Shelter-in-Place, I think we saw that there was a couple of aspects, for example. um, One being I talk about a lot that we frequently, uh, we run all of our meetings where we write everything down. We send all the documents ahead of time. People are expected to review and comment on those documents inside uh, Google Docs. Um, And that place, rather than having a big emphasis on the presentation skills and the in-person nature, it has always placed a a focus on the content and and it played out really well in a remote-first environment uh, or in a shelter-in-place environment. Now it's translated for us in remote-first. And then another example might be as we ran our AMAs, our our weekly company all-hands meetings, we were able to keep a connection level with all of our employees. So I would say we we de-escalated. We found that there was strength in our culture and then we started realizing, hey, this could be a long term strength for us in the talent market. Uh, And we wanted to take something that was maybe an intrinsic capability we hadn't fully leveraged and make it an even bigger part of our go forward strategy. And so we decided that we were really going to lean into this over a long period of time because we thought it would help us um, hire more diverse talent help us find key talent for our roles more easily um, and really help us have a competitive advantage in the marketplace going forward.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned, uh, you know, having some of those conversations with your team uh, over your weekly AMAs, like what other, how did you get a sense of the the, the perspectives and the, you know, the, the hope streams and desires of your team as it related to kind of shifting to remote first?
1: Yeah, we did that in a couple of ways. I mean, that's obviously one of the difficulties of this of this entire experience because you lose some of the quick in-person check-ins. So some of the things we did there is we were very quick to move to a survey model. Uh, as we moved to remote first we be, or to shelter in place, we right away did a survey for how things were trending for people and where could we focus. We followed that up um, with a series of couple of other surveys since with more detailed um, information to help us think about planning. Um, And then I think we've continued to lean on our our structures like our AMA for dialogues uh, at a company level. And then what we've really encouraged, uh, some other things we've done is encourage smaller team AMAs. So for example, I host a weekly AMA with the employee experience team to get even more granular and hear from our employees what's working and what's not working. Uh, and then we also started hosting more manager circles meetings, as we call them. So meetings where we brought managers together to hear about what was working for them and shelter in place and move to remote first and what wasn't and shared best practices. So I think in summary, I'd say, you know, using some of the formal structures, um, creating new informal structures and then surveying frequently has been sort of the three pillars we've, laid, uh, we've really landed on.
0: Got it. And so what happens now with your real estate? Like now that you've declared your intent to become, you know, to be essentially an operate remote first, uh, what do you do with the physical spaces you have?
1: Uh, great question. I I first, I, I think if you sort of step back principally here, you know, we really want to think about as a company, innovation, repeatable innovation. And so for us, the first principle we've sort of laid down here is an idea that maybe instead of having 10 floors in one city like San Francisco, we may move to a world where we have one floor in 10 cities. So the idea here is not that we're gonna move to completely remote and not have offices. Um, The idea is that we're gonna empower choice for our people. Um, And in remote first, the experience for our employees, their trajectory inside the company should be the same, whether they are working in the office or working at home. So we've been beginning to do a real estate sort of portfolio analysis um, and we are in the process of working with our, our real estate vendors to consider how do we shift our mix. So here's one example where, um, and this was already in play, but it's sort of being even before shelter in place, but it, it's, it's evolving even more thoughtfully now. Um, we have a headquarters in San Francisco. We'll probably over time have less space in that headquarters. But we've opened an office now uh, in the South Bay in San Francisco, uh, south of San Francisco, and with the idea being that that will be another location for people closer to me- home for much of our population, uh, easier for them to get to. And so I think what you'll see in our in our space model is probably more offices and less in I'm sorry, less office space in any one city, more offices in different cities, less sort of. Really concentrated office space, more diverse office space, uh, and maybe a hub and spoke model in some of our larger cities. We're still working through it, but ultimately we'll probably end up with about the same footprint, but just more spread out in in geography terms.
0: Got it. Yeah, you know one of the things that uh, is interesting. I think at you know at the headline level, right, uh, we're, we're talking a lot about companies that are whether they're shifting to remote first, whether they're shifting to hybrid, how they're approaching that. I think what what rarely gets the double-click is all of the kind of downstream, downstream implications of those decisions from a, from an HR and people operations standpoint. And so, you know, for you, now that Coinbase has made the call to be remote first, how do you go about auditing your existing practices and kind of reorienting them where necessary to remote first?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a really, it's a fascinating question. So I would say, um, First of all, I've been fortunate to to have a great team around me um, and on the employee experience team and then a a great group of collaborators across the organization. And so what we did is we really, we, we started a framework of nine big questions that we thought we needed to answer, like where can people work or how will we maintain equitable experiences no matter where you are, or how are we gonna make sure we have collaboration and connection in, in a manner that approached or exceeded what we had with everybody being in the office. And so we brought together a cross-functional group of, of team members that's spearheaded by a woman on my team that's leading this effort overall. Um, and we established uh, DRIs, you know, d- directly responsible individuals, to spearhead each of these big questions we're trying to answer. Um, and and we've been sort of methodically working through those, right? And, and we've we're regularly publishing the answers to our com- to our employees inside the company as we fully flush them out, right? So things like how do I change my permanent address, or what will my compensation be, or things of that nature. And we're iterating on those one by one in order of priority. Um, and as we work through the answers together and get signed off as a as an organization on them. Uh, and then we begin to share them with the organization, test how they're working, and then we'll consider what adjustments we need to make from there based on the, the outputs of, of those sort of new plans that are in place.
0: Yeah, let's let's talk a bit about your how you're approaching compensation because I know that's a, a massive variable that uh, you know companies are having different approaches. With some are having uh, you know set comp ranges regardless of where you work, some are localizing uh, comp, some are creating it by you know kind of uh, regions or, or, uh, accelerants or, uh, on compensation, depending on, uh, cost of living in that area. So how do you, as you shift to this new remote first model, how do you kind of treat compensation?
1: Yeah, obviously, uh, probably when you're in the, in the chief people officer seat, like the most thorny one that comes at you right away. Right. Uh- <laughs> right. Um, so p- probably good contextually, Lars, for me to just step back, step back and say one of the things we did in the last 18 months was really think about um, uh, reframing our comp overall as an organization and, and taking a principled approach to it. So the principles around that were being market driven, uh, you know, ensuring fairness for people. Um, and then also, you know, ensuring that our people really participated in Coinbase's success over a period of time. And so what that has, we've taken those same principles, even as we did sort of our broader comp philosophy evolution before shelter in place, now remote first. And we applied those same principles to this scenario. So directly, what does that mean? It means that, we, you know, we're taking a market driven approach. Um and if people relocate, uh, we are, we, we've divided the country into three tiers. So uh, tier, one, tier one being sort of the highest, tier two being 10% less than that, and tier three being 15% less than that. Um, you can imagine like for us, tier one is San Francisco and New York uh, as example cities in that. Um, and if people relocate Um, they are to a city in tier two or any other city, which would then fall into tier three, their compensation will be adjusted to reflect that city, that city's new comp within our our model. Uh, It's important to note, we're not making any of those adjustments until January one. We told our employees that we would not return before that period of time. So we've just kept them at their current comp levels, regardless of any moves given the shelter in place impact. But so we've taken a market driven approach. Um, because we wanna and that, that plays to fairness to me. I mean, one of the things that kept me up as a as a CPO is, you know, if I had someone leaving San Francisco and going to work in Chicago, where there had historically been a comp differential for us, would I want that person to then still make more than the person who's been working for us all along in, in Chicago just because they originally started in in San Francisco? And and that didn't feel right to me. Uh, and so we've we've made that move. But again, in our sort of open source ways, we've internally at least published all of that well ahead of time so that people can plug in, where would they be going and consider the financial impact. And I would say that's another pillar of sort of Coinbase culture. This is really personal choice. So, you know, we're not asking anybody to move. And if they want to move, then they can make the choice of moving to either a tier two or a tier three city, then they, they'll understand the financial impact there. So. Really leading with market and trying to be fair to everybody are the principles I try to put in play there.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that uh, you're about to be doing, which I think is also really interesting, I know that you've been a, a strong proponent of open source practices just personally, and obviously I know you know that that connects to Coinbase as well. Um, but you're getting ready to launch a blog series, kind of detailing what you're learning, what you're experiencing, how you're navigating the the transition. Involved with becoming remote first, so where did that idea come from, and kind of why is it important for you to to share that journey along the way?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know, as you mentioned at the very beginning, we started this entire process by sharing our our COVID planning on on the move out into shelter in place, and we saw such an incredible response from people that it really helped them. Um, handle you know, their moves as well and informed what they were doing and that I think um, you know, we've just realized that as we go through this, um, it is something that we can t- we want to share more broadly, right? I think it's it's in the ethos of crypto to be open source, to be oriented towards sharing things. And then for me personally, it's one of the reasons that attracted me to come to Coinbase I spent eight years of my, some of the best eight years of my career working at Red Hat, which was, you know, and remains incredibly committed to open source principles. And so I think organizationally, we've seen benefits from other organizations learning. And I see personally benefits in giving back to the community in that way, because I find that people give back to us and it just makes us all stronger. So I would say it was a combination of you know, the benefit we saw from our security and CISO team leading us through the the move to shelter in place and the realization that what we're going through, others will go through and benefit from. And as we share, uh, we'll learn from them as well.
0: Yeah. So where can listeners find that? I guess, has that launched yet? I know it's 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 imminent if it hasn't yet. So for uh, for listeners that want to track that and, uh, and read that, where can they find it?
1: Um, it's going to be launching and it'll be on our uh, Coinbase blog.
0: Got it. Um, you know, one of the I'm curious to get your take on is I think as we, uh, one of the things that I've, I've heard consistently from my network, uh, and I certainly share this view is that, you know, the pandemic is really a, a massive accelerant on whatever this notion of future of work is like, I don't even use that term anymore, because to me, it's now it's what we're doing now. Uh, and so I think part of the opportunity there is to also really have a, a deeper look at our org structures within the the HR people function. Uh, you know, particularly as we, you know, no matter what for many companies, uh, a much larger par- portion of their workforce, if not the majority, are going to be remote at least part of the time. Uh, I think it creates an opportunity for us to be a bit more thoughtful around how we're designing our people teams to support these new realities. I'm curious, like, how do you think about that as a chief people officer? How, how is this, has this been an opportunity for you to maybe assess, you know, how your team is structured and how you're kind of oriented to support the business and the employees?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, probably in several key important ways that might be helpful uh, for people to hear about. I, I think one is from from my perspective, it's actually heightened my commitment to building very heterogeneous um, people teams. And And what I mean by that is I have for several years now, but even more so today, believe that building a people team comprised of people from from talented individuals who have grown up inside HR, as well as individuals who have come from other disciplines uh, is even more important today because we're tackling such a unique set of problems. Uh, You know, one of the things I'm finding is having some people who have come from consulting or marketing backgrounds and their approach to both data analysis and communication in a dispersed world um, makes things all makes us all the more successful as a people team. So I think that's an area I'll I will continue to double down on in terms of designing our team. Um, I think a second area that's really interesting in my world as part of the employee experience function here, I am also responsible for uh, our office operations, and I think we're going to see the role of office manager evolve in just a transformational way. Um, you know, one of the ways I talked to the team about it today is, you know, we went from a world of having a handful of global offices to now literally having a thousand plus offices around <laughs> the world. Right. Right. And, and we need our office managers to think about how can we empower everybody to be that to be equally successful in that dispersed world. And also they can play such a great role in that community activist and and connection piece. Um, that I think it's 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 something that's you know potentially what, one of the roles that will be most impacted, but in a really positive way. I think for for people in that role, they can have an unbelievable impact in companies that they're moving to remote and really mastering it. And then I would say the third thing for me, org wise, is it just this whole experience has heightened the the need for learning agility and flexibility in your team. Uh, one of the things we did right at the start of the move to shelter in place was sort of stand up an employee support team. So, you know, we sort of at that point just threw our traditional service delivery model out the window and said, here's a team of five or six people who are just going to be, you know, tier one support for our employees any way they can help and help people get through this big change. Uh, And that team evolved over time. It did some of the survey work I talked to you about. It's, it's now actually spun down, but elements that we learned from there are helping us you know, now in our remote first work. And so what I take away from that is in this remote world, our team will have to have flexibility and agility at a level it's probably never seen before. Because certainly there will be ongoing things that we'll have to tackle and we'll spin up sort of project teams with unique skills and move them forward.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's an interesting point of creating an employee success team because I think for a lot of organizations who shifted to remote, uh, you know, they may have had a sizable number of employees who had never worked remotely before, and you know, and not only that, I mean, I think anytime we talk about remote during a pandemic, we've got to qualify that by saying this is anything but optimal remote, right? Where we're remote and our kids are being homeschooled at home by us, or we have. You know, elder care that we're managing, or we have pandemic-related, you know, mental health and anxiety struggles. Right? I think this is uh, about as suboptimal in terms of the, the the framework where we can be working remote, but how we support our employees in actually making that shift uh, and and setting them up to be successful, you know, in that role, especially for those who haven't done it before and you know might might you know not be used to that rhythm and that cadence. Uh, I think is important. Did, did you learn anything? Does anything kind of stand out to you in terms of uh, some of the the feedback you got from the work your employee success team did on kind of helping employees navigate to that?
1: Um, Yeah, for certain. I think um, there's probably a couple of things in there. I mean, one is, um, you, you know, we see that connectivity and community are probably the things our employees are having the hardest time trying to replicate in a world where they're not in office now, so in a remote first world. And just broadly, if you think about sort of shelter in place uh, that's sort of gripping the world, even if and you're not getting connectivity and community as much in the workplace, and you're probably not getting it as much in person or in the personal life either. So I think a big learning for us and a big challenge is that we really have to zero in on helping people um, find connection. We're doing some of those things in family-friendly ways. We're doing some things with virtual happy hours or virtual exercise classes, maybe e- educational opportunities. Um, we're trying to help our managers lead better virtual offsites. Our retail team just hosted a 100-person off-site. Um, and I think we've posted a blog about that on Medium. It's something that we are going to try to learn more from as a people team and then potentially, when you think about roles, maybe even add a permanent role on our org that would help managers and org leaders run virtual offsites in a highly effective way. Um, and so, I think mean, you know, and I think the thing that we're still really trying to think about, the the thing that we haven't fully solved for top of mind, is just how do you thoughtfully and maybe a you know in a genuine way replicate those sort of moments where you used to connect with someone in the kitchen when you're getting your coffee or, or a snack in the middle of the day. And and I think we're seeing in our engagement surveys, we're seeing from our employees that some of that is missing for them. And so top of mind for us is still try to figure out ways to do that. Haven't solved that one yet. um, But hope to figure out can we can we create the two minute kitchen conversation some way so people get that connection.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think that, uh, you know, if it's any, um, you know, if it's any comfort, I don't think anybody has solved that yet. I think most teams and uh, companies are still grappling with that because that that is there's an element of that that especially if you've shifted to remote from in office that uh, that is just it's just missing. And I think that uh, that the challenge that I think you have is when you're trying to find other ways to meet that need but do it in a way that uh, that kind of honors the fact that you know some employees will be in a position where they really need those programs, and others, you know, whether they're you know, they're teaching their kids or whatever else they might have, that's also demanding their attention. Uh, it's hard for them to make space for additional things like that. And so I think there's there's so much nuance to it that needs to be navigated. And I think that's probably a good transition to a question I want to get your thoughts on, which is really just. The stress of the situation, uh, you know, obviously employees are stressed, companies are stressed, leadership teams are stressed. But in my mind, you know, no role carries that more than the CPO seat because you're dealing with, you know, the business complexities and volatility. You're dealing with supporting your ex-team colleagues, you're supporting your own people team, and trying to lead and inspire them, and and really serving as a the uh, representative of of the entire. Organization on the people side, like I, you know, it seems like in from conversations I've had, you know, burnout is something that is really uh, accelerating because I think that uh, CPOs, by and large, are struggling with finding the right ways to keep uh, a level of balance to kind of support their own well-being while while supporting those of all those constituents I mentioned. So, how is that for you? Like, how do you how do you ensure as you're navigating? Coinbase, uh, and and the organization through all of this, that uh, you're not putting yourself in a position where you're burning out?
1: Yeah, it's top of mind. You know, I'm I'm very fortunate, I think, in where I am in life, but top of mind for me to make sure I am playing the long game so that I can help everybody else play the long game. So a couple of thoughts there. Uh, First of all, just to be candid about it, I've really leaned into remote first, and that's helped me in my stress level. And what I mean by that is um, I, I was living in Chicago, Uh, was slated to move to San Francisco. And ultimately, when we decided to move to a remote first company, uh, I called an Audible and we moved back to Raleigh, North Carolina, where I had lived for eight years when I worked at Red Hat. It was probably some of the best eight years of my life in terms of balance between a great professional setting and a great personal setting. And so it's been very comforting for me to come back to that spot of such stability and strength to help me sort of navigate through this period. And I would say then interestingly, and I'm in a different spot in life than a lot of people. My daughter just went to college. I'm an empty nester, but I've shifted my hours. So I work West Coast hours um, while, while living on the East Coast. And what that means is I have every morning free. And so I you know, get up and I will, big tennis player, I'll go play tennis in the morning. My wife and I'll go for a walk. Have breakfast and spend my mornings recharging uh, so that I can have a really effective day. And, and what I found and what I say to everybody at Coinbase is you don't need permission to stand for your own well being. And when I was thinking about how do I stand for my own well being, what I realized is if I start work at nine o'clock, I just can't unplug when everybody else comes on. I don't have that sort of intrinsic capability. And so I had to create a buffer for myself. Uh, and say, I'm not going to start until noon every day so that I can recharge and I, I know and I can really uh, make sure I'm playing the long game. The the other thing I would share, Lars, is the one thing I've found that's really helped me with this as it relates to the CHRO seat or the CPO seat, is I have probably leaned into roundtables more in the last six months than I did in the previous three or four years and just you know, hearing how my peers in other companies are tackling this, knowing that I'm not alone in facing these challenges, learning from them where they've succeeded, giving back some, and sort of again this open source model has, I think, also just been energizing for me. And so the other thing I I try to push anyone who wants to you know ask how I'm getting through this around is find community that will sort of support you, uh, and if it's a roundtable or a friend or whatever the case may be but find community that will support you because I've just taken great uh, solace in having peers that I knew I could learn from through this period of time and and also made me realize I wasn't alone.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really good advice. Uh, and, and I'll underscore that as well. I mean, I think it's essential that um, uh, people in these roles need to have those peer communities that you can, uh, share ideas with, know you're not alone and at times commiserate and vent because you need to have those outlets too. It's a, it's, it's a hard job, but at the best of times, it's an exceptionally difficult job, uh, right now. So LJ, I, I have one last question for you before we wrap up. Uh, if listeners are out there and they're contemplating, uh, how they're going to be structuring their orgs or evaluating, you know, remote first or evaluating, hybrid, uh, what advice would you have for them as they're working with their executive teams on this decision?
1: Yeah, three things come to mind with that, Lars. I think one is um, you really need to have an honest assessment of your culture. Uh, I don't think you can do this without being really radically transparent with yourselves and with your exec team about what works in your culture, what doesn't in terms of moving remote, what you're willing to change. I think that Uh, We were able to do an honest assessment about where we stood and realize that some of the things that we, as I said earlier, didn't design with Remote First in mind, but for which we realized really played out well in Remote First. uh, We were able to have that that dialogue and realize it was going to help us be successful. I've worked in other places where, you know, I know that the cultural tenants in those organizations would not have translated well to Remote First. doesn't mean you can't change those tenants But I think you really need to have an honest dialogue about it. I think the second thing is you constantly have to uh, check on alignment with your exec team. You can't leave things to interpretation. As you're moving to remote, there will be lots of challenges. We've highlighted some of them. There are many more. I think it's really important to check where all of your exec team comes out on those things and pressure test alignment uh, on a regular basis so that there's really your employee population isn't feeling the stress of that lack of alignment. Uh, and then my last thing is have a great team. Uh, you know, I think success will be made, make or break uh, by the execution on the move to remote first. I have a uh, a, a person who's leading the uh, remote first project for me, who one of those people that doesn't come from a, a HR background, but she's doing absolutely phenomenal work and she's getting great contributions from uh, a, a wide array of backgrounds across the company to make this come alive and be successful. So, because it's a priority and because we have a great team with talented people working on it, I think we'll be successful in the long haul.
0: Cool. Well, LJ, I really appreciate you making time. I'm glad you're going to be sharing that journey with all of us on your blog. So, um, when this goes live, I'll include a link to that in the show notes so listeners can find it easily. And uh, I really appreciate you making time. Thanks so much for coming on the show
1: thank you. It was great reconnecting with you and uh, talking about this and look forward to uh, listening to other podcasts in the future.
0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.